Well, if you'll turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, I have a message this morning that has a little video that we're going to start with, but the message is called Moonwalkers. We'll only get there together from Matthew 28. So if you turn to Matthew 28, we have a short video that's going to show you something you may not have seen before. couldn't tell what he was saying, the man on the moon, that's Neil Armstrong, he was saying one small step for man, one giant step for mankind. You see, in September of 1962, which about half of us were alive for, um, the other half were not, the president of the United States, which was John F. Kennedy at the time, he had made an announcement in 1962. He stood at a podium and he announced that within 10 years, we'd have a man on the moon. And by 1967, he had a man on the moon. Actually, 69, seven years later, he had a man on the moon. It wasn't him who put that man there. If we think about the accomplishment, so prior to that, no one had ever left Earth's atmosphere that we know of, right? But if we think about the bold mission that the President of the United States was encouraged to announce to the American people. And then we think about just seven years later, this scene, this man stepping out of a spaceship and onto the moon. We are amazed at that accomplishment, right? Those two people become heroes, especially the one, Neil Armstrong, the one who actually walked on the moon. They become our heroes. And in the history books, we hear all about them. But if we look more closely at this mission, it wasn't just a mission that two people accomplished. In fact, someone did some research and found that it's estimated that about 400,000 people worked on that mission over those seven years to get that to happen. So we have to understand that Big accomplishments, significant things, the kind of things that that test the limits of our ability and capabilities, the things that change the world are seldom the work of lone individuals. Couldn't do it alone. It wasn't done alone. There were 399 and 998 other people who got that man to the moon. People on teams, scientists, people that had to engineer things, people that had to test things. I mean, it went on and on and on at a great speed to accomplish this, to make something that was a mission or a vision of of a group of people. We're going to walk on the moon into a reality. You see, there really is strength in numbers. We hear that term. There's strength in numbers. There really is strength in numbers. 
There are some things that cannot be done alone. And even though maybe one person at the very end becomes the hero, they didn't accomplish that on their own. We have to realize that the Bible teaches this too. When Jesus spoke the words that we are focusing on in this series on discipleship, when he spoke these words, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That's considered the great commission. It's a commission because it's him joining with us to get something accomplished. That's often where it ends in our understanding. Oh, I'm so glad that Jesus is with me. But that's not what he said. He said he's with us. He's talking to a group of disciples. He's not talking to one individual. So often as Americans, we read the scripture and we miss the meaning because we think it's personal when really it's corporate. When we think he's talking about me as an individual when really he's talking about us as a people. And we have to continue to correct ourselves because our culture has trained us and our flesh has trained us to think me, 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 I, 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 that's who this is all about. And that is not the way that God has made things. You see, we don't struggle to understand Jesus' call to discipleship. I think it's, it's pretty obvious what he's asking us to do. But what we do is we struggle to carry out that call. What if our approach to Jesus' great commission has some kind of flaw in it? A fatal flaw, really. The flaw we can see when we look at the Apollo 11, the spaceship, the space landing. I think we've overlooked what it means to go into all the world and make disciples. Because if you want to go to the moon, you'll never get there alone. So Jesus wasn't asking you as an individual to go into every nation of the world and make disciples of all those people, right? I mean, that makes sense, right? He wasn't just saying, you know, David, you alone by yourself Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. I mean, first of all, it's not even possible that one person could do that by themselves. But sometimes the way that we're reading and trying to comprehend Scripture is off because we're not seeing what he's really saying. What he's saying is, you all, all of you, all of my disciples, go into all the world. But how many disciples does Jesus have? Well, he's got millions. It's a good thing that these disciples, these, these original 12, actually took him up at his word and began to disciple other people. You see, because disciples are people who follow Jesus, but also teach others to follow Jesus. They become disciple makers. If they didn't, Christianity would have died out in about 50, 60, 70 years. That would be it. You wouldn't hear it anymore. It wouldn't be written about anymore. There'd be no songs about it anymore. It'd be over. So the flaw for us is when we approach these types of scriptures and forget to think about all of us doing it together, accomplishing it together. Because when we think about doing it alone, we get scared. 
If you told me to go all the nations of the world, there's some nations I won't go to. I'm too scared, all right? I'm not trained to speak that language. I'm not trained to be in that culture. Christians are illegal. They put pastors in jail there. Sometimes they, you know, they persecute Christians. I, I don't want to do that alone. But I'll support someone else who wants to do that, right? And we do that even through missions. We help others who are equipped, who, are, who, are, who can speak the language, who know the culture, who can get in there and bring Christ, and we help them to do it. That's what Jesus is talking about. We can't do it alone. We can't get to the moon alone. Now, Jesus also, he's not a cruel God. He's a loving God. So he's not asking us to do something that's impossible, Go into all the world, go into every nation and preach the gospel, making disciples of all nations. He's not saying, I want you to, you know, turn into a mouse. Well, I can't. It's impossible, right? So he's not giving us an impossible task. He's giving us a possible task. Otherwise, he wouldn't ask us to do it. He's not that kind of God. He's not trying to frustrate us. So... Jesus modeled for us. He came and became a man and modeled for us what making disciples is all about. And for him, making disciples is living in community and pursuing God's will as a team effort. Do you know what a team effort means? You're just one member of the team. Even if you're the quarterback, you can't win that game without the rest of your team. We have to get this fixed inside of our mind or inside of our hearts, wherever this thing is lodged. You're not in this alone. You're part of a team. Holden Chapel's not in the world alone. We're part of a team. There are believers all over New England. There are believers all over the United States and all over the world that are on our team. We might not have met them, but we know some of them. And we are together called by God to do this very possible thing with the power that he provides for us, going into all the world and making disciples. You see, what happens is our independent thinking blocks our efforts. I know this happens with me. There's some things I look at. Maybe my car breaks down or something, you know, like one time my dryer broke down at my house, right? And we had lots of little kids and we didn't have a lot of money and when the dryer breaks down it's like a big deal right because we were doing cloth diapers you know <laughs> just the thought of remembering that but but anyway so you had to like you know rinse them and then put them in the washing machine and double wash them and then you had to dry them and then you had to fold them and you know I had some rough years anyway <laughs> yeah, my wife probably did all the laundry. She's not here today. Shh. <laughs> anyway, that dryer broke. And it was midwinter. It's not like we could go out and put everything out. They would just have frozen diapers to go on their butts. You know, that wouldn't be too good, right? So, so I was like a bit of a panic, you know. I'm like, um, yeah, it's not working. My wife's like, well, what's wrong with it? I don't know. I don't know. You know, well, we'll fix it. I'm like, ah, okay. You know, I'm not mechanical. You guys know that. Um, so, you know, I, I get a screwdriver and I try to take it apart and I try to reach underneath and, oh, it was just a mess. So eventually, you know, the light dawned and I prayed and said, God, I can't fix this. You got to help me. Right. And out of his grace, he helped me fix it. 
So, I don't know how I got on that. That wasn't even in my notes. But it's that idea that sometimes we think we can do it all by ourselves, and we don't even pray about stuff. We're just like, oh, let me take care of that. I'll take care of that. I'll take care of that. You know, we're, just, we're just running through life, making independent decisions, doing our own thing. If you did that on a football team, they would kick you off the team. They would at least bench you. They'd be like, listen, there are plays, there are things we have practiced, there are ways in which we're supposed to function together, and you just keep running around, hilly-willy, willy-willy, doing whatever you want, you're messing up the whole game, and we're losing. God wants us to join him in his victory. He does not want us to cause all this chaos. He's working by his spirit even now to realign us with our purpose. Our purpose on earth is the great commission. Go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them what I have taught you, baptizing them, helping them. And he modeled it for us. He showed us by living in community and pursuing God's will together, we can accomplish this. So if you want to be a disciple and make disciples, remember, you cannot do it alone. You cannot do it alone. It won't work. That would be like Neil Armstrong by himself trying to get to the moon and not accepting anyone else's help. He's going to do it himself. It's not possible. But with the design that Jesus put in motion, it is possible because all things are possible with God. And so as we look at this, we have to reconstruct some things in our minds, reconstruct some things in our ministries, reconstruct the way that we think about things in order for this to happen, in order for us to become a church that obeys the Great Commission, that makes disciples, and that is being discipled itself. So, he put his disciples together. He called them together. We're going to look at it in a minute. It's our passage for this morning. And when he called them, they had to leave some things behind. And they had to move into this new following Jesus mode that they were in. They couldn't do both. They couldn't keep being fishermen out there on that lake and at the same time follow Jesus because he wasn't going to be out there on that lake, right? So they had to make a choice. The old song, I have decided to follow Jesus, right? No turning back. Like there, there, there's, a, there's a commitment. There's a, there's a change that has to take place. And what they had to give up and the thing that is also difficult for us to give up to become disciples and to become disciple makers is probably the most valuable commodity all of us would maybe agree on, time. Time. We feel like we never have enough. We're like these crazy people that are like, I'm so busy, I'm so busy, I gotta go. You know, no, no, no. What's the rabbit in the... Alice in Wonderland. I'm late. I'm late for a very important date. Right? That's how most of you look all week long. So Jesus, you know, think about it. He's like, hey, come follow me. And he's like, I love, I love this. Somebody said this somewhere. Like, you never see anywhere in Scripture, Jesus was running to the next town. Jesus was running to get in the boat. He hurried down. No, 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 no. Jesus walked. He walked. 
and he talked and he took his time and he paid attention to the people around him and he even saw the people that nobody else could see in the crowd. Jesus slowed it down. One of the things we're going to have to leave behind is the frenetic speed in which we're trying to do everything all the time, everywhere. You can't make disciples that way. There's no instant disciple potion we can make people drink. Okay, drink this. Okay, good. Move on. It doesn't work that way. We have to, by knowing one another more deeply, learning to encourage each other, spending time together, supporting each other, praying for each other, serving one another, be his disciples. All of those things take time. And time is a very precious commodity. We have to spend some time figuring out how. How is that going to work? If we want to be disciples of Jesus, and we may have figured that part out. We've got to read his word. We've got to pray. You know, we have lots of sermons about that. You've got to spend time together with, with him in worship. You've got to also be with other believers. We may have figured the disciple, personal disciple commitment down. But to make disciples, it's now become something different. Because now you have to not only follow Jesus, but you have to encourage other people to follow Jesus. And that takes time. You have to build relationships. You have to get to know people. You know, several years ago, some of you were here, many of you were here, um, we started something called Disciple Time. It was something that we did after church. We said, we're going to meet in small groups, and we're going to talk together. We're going to pray together. We're going to get to know each other better. And I never told you this because I don't really tell tales out of school. But there was a couple, a very fine couple, very nice couple, very godly-looking couple. They came up to me after all of that was explained. We're going to start disciple time. We're all going to be in small groups. We're all going to do whatever. And this couple came up to me, said, I need an appointment with you. I said, okay, let's make an appointment. They came to my office. They said, we need to tell you we're leaving the church. I was like, what? Uh, okay. What happened? They're like, we don't want to know people, and we don't want people to know us. No lie. They didn't want to be known because it was too scary, too threatening. I don't even know because they didn't really want to talk much after that, and they did leave. It was like this, like, uh, I was shocked. You're part of a church of fellow disciples, and you don't want anyone to know you, and you don't want to know anybody else. If that's you here this morning, I'm sorry, but we want to go deeper. We want to know one another more. Now, that doesn't mean we're nosy when trying to dig into your dirt or whatever, but it means we want to love you. We want to support you. We want to pray with you. We want to see you grow. We want to see you use your gifts and abilities. We want you to develop yourself into a disciple and disciple maker, and the only way we can do that is by being in each other's life, and Jesus modeled that perfectly. As he ascended into heaven and his Holy Spirit was sent on the disciples at Pentecost, this method continued as he spent more and more time, as they spent more and more time together learning to be disciples. It wasn't an individual thing. As they grew in the city of Jerusalem after Pentecost, I want you to just, you don't even have to turn there. I'll turn there. In Acts 2. The Spirit comes. Jesus has now ascended. He gave them the Great Commission. Find the book of Acts, will you? 
And he says, he says to them in Acts 2, verse 42, he doesn't say it to them. This is what happens. They were filled with the Spirit of God, right? We sometimes think that that's it. Like, that's the answer. You got the Spirit. That's all I got to do. Now my life's all set. No. You still need each other. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to fellowship. They devoted themselves to, to breaking in bread, breaking of bread together and in prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. All kinds of wonders and signs were being performed. Now all of the believers, verse 44, were together and held all things in common. They ate their food together in each other's homes, going from home to home. They were joyful, praising God. Enjoying the favor of all people. And every day, this is how that passage ends, every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. There's no way this could have been a closed group. There's no way this could have been like, it's it's us four and no more. We can't, we can't, you know, we're just going to meet privately. This is a public thing. The Holy Spirit had filled the church, and now the church was meeting in each other's homes, but somebody was bringing visitors. Somebody was bringing non-Christian people. Somebody was bringing people who were lost and hurting and broken and bringing them into that fellowship because otherwise there's no way that every day somebody was being saved. And it says multiple people were being saved. There's a process here that we're missing and we have a flaw in, and I think the process could be called and is called in some discipleship books, intentional relational discipleship. It's intentional. You have to spend the time. You have to be willing to carve out of your life time to spend with other people. Relational, it's all about the relationship. Look at what Jesus did. He just took these 12 guys and spent three years with them. Changing their lives forever. And then he asked them to go do the same. Keep doing that. And it's interesting because Paul, Paul the apostle, who was Saul, Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 3 says this. To, to Timothy, he's writing a letter to Timothy. He says, you, Timothy, you followed my teaching and my conduct and my purpose, and my faith, and my patience, and my endurance, along with the persecutions and the sufferings that came to me in Antioch. In other words, Timothy went through it all with him. He saw him go through all of it. He was part of it. He was at least observing it. He was watching Paul as Paul went through these things, good things and bad things. You know those who taught you. See that line there? It's like 14B there. You know those who taught you. You know those who taught you. Do you know how many people you don't know who are teaching you? I don't know those people on TV, those televangelists. I don't know those people on YouTube. I don't know any of those people. I might know their name. I don't know the name of their ministry. I might have listened to some of their sermons, but I don't know them. What are they doing when they're not on camera? What are they doing when they're not on TV? What are they doing when they're not on stage? I don't know them. What Paul is saying to Timothy is like, you know me. You saw me go through all this stuff, the patience, endurance, the persecution, the faith, the the, the conduct, my conduct, my conduct. That means how you behave. 
Timothy knew Paul at that level. That is because Paul discipled him. That is because Paul took him with him and they journeyed in life together just like Jesus did with his disciples. Paul was carrying on the tradition. You don't know someone because you know their Instagram or their Facebook, which is called fake book for a reason. You don't know someone that way. Don't pretend they're your friends. Don't, don't have them there in the corner where it says 99 friends, 5,000 friends. Those are not your friends. The people who are your friends, look around, could be in this room. Now, they, you might not know anybody this morning, so you know, we got some work to do. But what I'm saying is it's people you could actually know and touch and feel. Jesus came from heaven, became a man. I almost fell over there. Became a man. <laughs> All right. So everybody chill out, right, Gary? <laughs> Became a man so that we could see him, hear him, touch him. Not us, but the disciples, right? Be with him, eat with him, walk with him, talk with him. This is where it comes from. This is the, the kernel, the, the, the seed of discipleship. And the fatal flaw we have in many churches and here as well is we're trying to skip that part. But that doesn't make disciples. It might make people who call themselves Christians, but it doesn't make disciples. There's a difference between Christians and disciples, I believe. Disciples are following Jesus, and they're helping other people follow Jesus too. Christians go to church, clap their hands, maybe give some money in the offering, and go home, and they act just like the world. Many, many, many people who call themselves Christians, their conduct is not Christian. Sometimes I have to listen to the Holy Spirit right in the middle of what I'm trying to say. Sorry, God. So here's the thing. You know, you're, you know you're a disciple if you have had a deep relationship with another disciple somewhere along the way who has walked with you, talked with you, shared with you, talked about problems with you, prayed with you, done service projects with you, whatever. It, you've been discipled. And then in order for you to be a disciple maker, you have to do the same thing. You see, relationships are the context and the environment for discipleship in Jesus' way. It's relationships. It's not a class. It's not a course. It's not something on the internet that you had to click off the boxes once you finally read it. That's not discipleship. That's something else. That's just teaching or learning. It's like an academic thing. Discipleship cannot happen without intentional relationships. And you know what? Some of us don't like those intentional relationships because we've been hurt, because we've been misunderstood. We've backed away from relationships. The problem with that is once we do that, we've backed away from discipleship. It's a problem. I have it, and I know you have it. We all have some of it. Now, some of you are like the golden retriever. You're like, ah, you're like relationships with everybody, right? Most of you, like New Englanders, are like, eh, 
yeah, I'm a little skeptical here. I don't really trust anybody. I've been hurt too many times. Blah, 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 blah. I think that's why New England is like in such bad shape spiritually. It's because we've all kind of like pulled back and pulled behind our, our walls. And we're like, you know, yeah, I'll, I'll wave. I'll, Hi, how are you? You know, have a blessed day, sweetheart. You know, and then, and then you're, you're done. Like that was your discipleship? Really? That doesn't... <sighs> all right. You know, this happens every now and then. You know. You know me. You know me. Okay, so in order for this to really be accomplished. See, see, we have a vision. We have a mission. Jesus set it for us, the co-mission. But in order for it to be accomplished, we all have to agree to be a part of it. And like that couple that said, like, yeah, yeah, we don't want that. There's not much I can do about that. But I want this church and everyone who feels the call of God in this church to make the commitment to move from an understanding of discipleship being an individual thing to actually being a corporate thing. Now, Tom, I'm going to skip over the words thing. We'll do that another time. But what I want us to see in the scripture this morning is in Matthew chapter 4. Turn to Matthew chapter 4. And there's this section in, in, in the Pew Bible, it's page 857, if you want to use this one that we have in the pews. But in Matthew chapter 4, we see the first disciples. The, the, the title there is the first disciples. So whenever you want something pure, you go back to when it first started, right? Unadulterated, pure discipleship started here, in this gospel here, Matthew Chapter 4, verse 18. As he, and it's Jesus here, as Jesus was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Notice it wasn't one brother. Or sister. He saw two. Two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew. And they were casting nets into the sea. For they were fishermen, right? And here's what he says to them. Follow me, and I will make you fish for people, or fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. They left something behind to follow him. Going on from there, so two was not enough for Jesus, two brothers. He saw two other brothers. This is James and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, and they were preparing their nets to get ready for fishing. He called to them, and I assume, or it's assumed, that he said the same thing. Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Because their same reaction. Immediately, they left the boat, and for them, they had to leave a relationship, probably a tight relationship. They left their father, and they followed him. That's the beginning of discipleship. And it's pure, unadulterated, untainted version. Receive the call of Jesus. Drop everything you've been doing and some of the people you're hanging with and follow him. If you haven't done that yet, 
Today may be your day. Today may be the day that you begin to follow Jesus. I want you to understand something about this fishers of men thing, because the only fishing most of us know is, is this picture of this little boy. When Jesus said, I'm going to make you fishers of people, he wasn't looking at this. He was looking at the next slide. He was looking at this. Go back to the first one. Notice the boy's all alone, and it's a skinny little pole. Next. Notice these men are together, and they're each giving it their all. That's discipleship. Back to the poll. Unfortunately, in our minds, back to the other one, we think this. Often we read this way. We read scripture this way. But we really need to be thinking this. Got it? Good. Now that's going to cause some shakeup and some change and some, some different things to, to have to happen. And, and we'll have to learn as, as the Spirit helps us. You see, fishing this way was not relaxing. It was hard work. That way you could relax and twiddle your toes, right? This way, hard work. Hard work, together, side by side, sweating, gritting your teeth, working hard, pulling in those nets. And we're going to talk about that in, in the future. There's another story. But, but, but this idea that you're not alone. I actually don't like fishing. I have a brother who like, loves it because he's like, I don't, know how you, I don't know how you get good at it, but he's good at it right? with the single little, you know, little stick. Um, I might like this kind of fishing. Right? Because I could do it with other people and we could work hard together and we could like pull in lots of fish at once because one fish at a time is a little slow for me. Um, No offense, Danny. Anyway, these people were ordinary people. These people were not like super righteous people. They weren't like perfect people. In fact, they had a lot of imperfections, which we see as they follow Jesus. And he works works their their his life into their life. But this is the most important thing for us to understand as Christians. Jesus gave us a mission to go and make disciples wherever we go, of all nations and all people, teaching them about Jesus, helping them through their life, showing them the way so they could walk in obedience to him. And receive the joy that is only found in him. Sometimes the harvest looks impossible. Sometimes the people that you're trying to reach look like it's impossible to reach them. But too often you're thinking it's all on you. It's just your job. But it's our job together. Together. So we can't do it alone. We have to, first of all, connect ourselves to Christ and receive his strength and his wisdom. But then we have to connect ourselves to other people so that discipleship can become a group think, a group thing that we do, something that's done as a church. Because you can't do it alone. You have to have the power of the Spirit and the power of the body of Christ at your side. Because if you try to pull in a big old net full of lots of fish by yourself, you'll exhaust yourself 
and maybe fall overboard. I don't know. So as we close here, I want you to remember the words of Jesus when he said, the harvest is abundant, but the workers, they're few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth more laborers. That is my prayer, my personal prayer, but my corporate prayer, that he would find us willing to be laborers with him and to work hard with him to bring in the harvest that's all around us. Harvest of souls, of people who are lost and need to be found in Christ. Amen.